Hello, you are listening to That's Debatable. I'm Creed Finnefrock here with Miles Aviles, and today we have the pleasure of interviewing Nas Paul, an independent candidate who's currently running for U.S. Senate to represent Washington. Nas Paul was born and raised in Bellevue, Washington, and is living there currently. As a child of Iranian immigrants, she inherited a strong sense of hard work, which she took into the business world, founding a successful development company. She is now a mother of three and happy to be launching her Senate campaign. Welcome. We're glad to have you here today. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is awesome. Miles, you want to get started off with the first question? Yeah, so our first question is, what was your inspiration to run for senator? Yeah, so basically I love our country and I really believe in our constitution. And so watching our state kind of degrade to where it's gone over the last five, ten years now has been really concerning for me. I have three little boys. And so I really kept looking at the future of our country and our state, and I was kind of wondering if I'm even going to have the same uh, state and the same opportunities for them as I had growing up. We've been uh, really struggling these last, I would say the last 10 years in our nation has been kind of, uh, it almost looks like a downhill. And I wouldn't even say, you know, economy, uh, all the costs and all the um, supply chain issues and, you know, all these crazy things that we see in the world that's happening. I don't even think those are the biggest issues. I think more it's the fact that We've lost our inner moral compass as a society. Really, it's like everyone's just an enemy and um, nobody can communicate anymore. That's why I chose to run as an independent, actually. It's because our our establishment has turned us into such a polarized, uh, you know, if you're a Democrat, you are an enemy to the Republicans. And if you're a Republican, you're an enemy to the Democrats. And that's ultimately what it's become. It's like people hesitate to even talk about politics now. We can't communicate. There's no more discourse. There's no more. Um, there, it's it's society truly is being taken to a place where we can't even we can't even have like social conversations anymore. And so, uh, all of that is just really scary as a mother. As I as I watched all this, but also as an American, it's very concerning. So I decided to really get into politics. It's not something I ever really envisioned myself getting into. I've always loved children. I've always wanted to be a mom. Actually, growing up, I always wanted to be a pediatrician. I always loved working with kids. Um, And I decided the doctor route wasn't good for me. Um, I'm really more of a business person at my heart and I'm an entrepreneur and never wanting to get involved in like, you know, the mean political scary world of politics. But uh, I just decided, you know, it's really time for normal people like you and me citizens that love our country, that care for the future to really start getting involved in uh, politics and um, let's take back our country, let's take back our state and kind of bring a little sanity and common sense to where we are. (laughs) Yeah, so you've been mentioning like the polarization in our nation and Mm -hmm. the lack of ability to have conversation. How do you think that could be addressed? You know, I think it just starts with people like me stepping up and saying, listen, I'm going to run as an independent. I think Uh, what it means to be an independent. It doesn't mean that I don't disagree with you on certain things. I There are probably a lot of things I could even disagree with you. Um, I disagree with my husband on some things. I disagree with a lot of friends. But ultimately, what that means is I can respect you for having a very different opinion than myself. And you know what? I can take things from the right, and I can take things from the left, and I can form my own opinion. An independent thinker is someone who... Uh, really just thinks for themselves. I don't need to go with the trends of what politics is teaching us. I don't need to go with what the media and what these agendas kind of start telling me I have to believe. I can truly 
say, you know what, I agree with this, um, but you know, this one I'm gonna stay away from a little bit. I Or I'm gonna do some more research. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah. um, I think it takes people like us to stand up and say, you know what, we're we're done being enemies and it's just takes it just takes that message being spread i think there's not as much we can do besides spreading the message you know we can't force it down people's throat but we can spread the message and be good examples yeah and kind of leading by example in that sense and bridging the gap getting people to be like okay maybe i agree with some things and then disagree with others and then just being able to eventually kind of be okay with that yeah, uh, definitely something good. Yeah, I've been really encouraged actually talking to young people like you guys because I feel like the older generation, kind of my age, I'm in my 30s, and my my generation and a little older, it's like they're so ready to just be very combative. But it seems like your guys' generation's like watching us and like, man, this is tiring. Like, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> aren't you guys exhausted <laughs> with all this arguing and all this back and forth? I mean, let's just agree to disagree. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think people these days are so willing to vote independent? I noticed on your website you mentioned that a lot of people are at least willing to vote independent. Why do you think that is? A hundred percent because we're all tired of this two-party system and this hypocritical establishment. Straight up hypocrisy. I think we're all tired of it. And it's actually a silent majority of people. So we have we have a very small majority of people who are, excuse me, a small amount of people who categorize themselves as Republican strictly and others who categorize themselves strictly as Democrat. And the majority of individuals truly are like us where they say, you know, yeah, I maybe lean more to the right or I lean more to the left, but I think I'm pretty independent. And um, majority of us are just simply, that's who we are. Um, and, uh, and I think that really highlighted by the media and by the establishment in DC, we don't see that. We're kind of blinded to that because they want to hide that fact from us. They want to make it look very polarized uh, because they want to stay in power. There's only two senators in DC that actually categorize themselves as independent out of the wow. 100. Yeah. So um, that's definitely not significant and not a balance to the equation, right? So our equation is I think Washington, they did a recent poll where 58% of Washingtonians are independent. Wow. And, yeah. And so how do we have only two independent senators? That's just not a representation of the majority. The job of a senator is to be a representative of the common citizen. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, I want to take it a bit more specific. Since this is a school radio station, we want to ask you a bit about education. So on your website, you mentioned fixing the education system as a priority, setting America's low ratings and academic performance on the world stage. So how would you plan to address this problem? Yeah, so I think uh, the United States doesn't even hit top 20 on some of these. Really, our education system for being the greatest country in the world, our education is such a failure and truly an embarrassment. Like we're failing on every chart. Uh, so ultimately, one, I believe that we need to fund our students and not our schools. Um, I think that's the very important. Washington State, the per student funding budget, I believe, is somewhere a little under $20,000 a student. Wow. So I don't think students are actually getting a $20,000 a year education, each student. And if you kind of do the math, 30 kids in a classroom, that comes out to like something around $500,000 per classroom per year. And there is no way our kids are getting that type of education. So that's one. So first off, funding the 
funding the student, not the schools, giving parents a choice. Um, next is I think we need to learn from countries that are doing it right. So we need a total education reform. There's countries that are really topping the charts and it's important to be able to look at those examples and say, you know what, what are they doing different than us? So why don't we take what's good? We may not agree with everything, but let's take what's good and let's implement that. So one thing that we see in schools that succeed and in countries that have, not, not just countries, but even private schools that succeed is that they allow teachers to build their own curriculum. So um, the curriculum is not an indoctrination from special interest groups that the United States is allowing in public school systems. So this is one big issue we have, and that's why there's this, there's this whole battle of like parents are just sick of you know what's going on in the schools today is because really we're kind of moving farther away from teaching and we're kind of implementing an indoctrinational system that a lot of a lot of parents are not able to choose. So. That's one thing, but um, allowing uh, schools also, there's a little bit of debate on this. I'm kind of in between, but allowing schools to maybe compete. There are some schools in other countries, I believe it's Norway, where they actually have a really great education system, but I don't believe that their schools actually even compete. Um, But the students are still having less time in the classrooms. Teachers are implementing their own curriculum. Um, and uh, schools don't even compete, but still their test levels are at a phenomenal rate. And so um, promoting independent thinking, uh, promoting uh, children to be able to just just be creative, be themselves, mm-hmm. I think that's all really important. I think that we're kind of boxing everybody in, we're boxing students in and try to trying to form and mold them into what we think that they should be versus allowing them to be the individuals that they really were intended to be. Yeah, definitely. I've noticed a lot of the Scandinavian countries tend to have really good school systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I think one of the big issues I've noticed too in the American school system is how all the language classes are taught. They're just done very, very poorly. And I notice all the kids I talk with tend to be like, yeah, I got my two years done of language, but I don't feel like I learned anything and I'm not going to pursue it any further. Whereas other countries, you know, they start learning English specifically at a very young age and then take that with them throughout their entire life. You know, that's actually a really good point. I never even thought about language in that sense. You know, I've always been more focused on like the reading, the math, the science, but actually Mm -hmm. language is an extremely important component. So yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even for younger people, it's a lot easier to get started learning a language as opposed to when you're in high school. So shifting to healthcare, what is what is your approach to that? What needs to change? Yeah, so, okay, so healthcare has always been one of those big giants that I have thought of so much that it's like, okay, how do we solve this, right? So we all believe, edu- uh, excuse me, we all believe healthcare should be affordable and should be accessible. And we all believe Everyone's entitled to having quality, good healthcare. After so much thought, so much studying, so much interviews, so much discussion over this, it all comes down to one thing, big pharma. We have to attack big pharma. We have to go after them. Big pharma should not be allowed to lobby politicians. So what happens is big pharma goes in, they lobby politicians, and then Therefore, what happens is that the prices are um, not able to be regulated. So prices will not be regulated and we can't compete. So, for example, I was talking to 
a, a doctor actually, and she was telling me that she, for her son, went to get some antibiotics here. She, they had taken him for something. He needed antibiotics. They went to go buy the antibiotics here in the U.S. The antibiotics uh, cost two hundred and fifty dollars. They were also on a trip. You know, later on, they went to a trip and they were in Rome. And over there, they went and got the exact same antibiotic, and it was five euros. And so what happens is the pharmaceutical companies are giving the, our Europe partners medicine discounts and passing that loss to the American consumer. Mm. Yeah, I, was, I had taken some notes from her, and I thought that that was really important for us to understand. Another thing she told me, she's a gastroenterologist, actually, and she said her clients would come to her and need, for example, a very important scan. And her client's insurance was not covering that scan. And so what happened was she would order the scan, insurance would refuse it. The out-of-pocket cost for that scan was something around $3,000. And no, you know, no average American can just afford a simple scan for $3,000. So they opt out of that. Ultimately, the doctor gives her best diagnosis, which usually is probably a misdiagnosis if you can't do a proper scan. So she kind of misdiagnoses this poor person and keeps her sick right so like if you're if she can't get the proper scan she needs she's going to continue being sick and continue with this misdiagnosis go back to the emergency room then at the emergency room they're going to foot this huge bill they're going to make more money so the cycle continues on and on our our u.s healthcare system is not intended to heal it's in, it's being intended to keep people sick and that's a huge problem that we're facing. So it, it all just has been coming down to big pharma, big pharma, big pharma. And I am going to really fight against that. That's my that's going to be one of my biggest goals. If I, uh, you know, get there when I get into the Senate, it's it's going to be really going after this. Yeah, I, I was looking at the prices of EpiPens because I, I used to always have mm -hmm. to keep one on me uh, in U.S., the average retail price for a two-pack of the EpiPen in around 2020 mm -hmm. uh, was $670, yeah. which is absolutely insane. I mean, that's yeah. two, literally just two shots. Yeah, and I'd be I'd be really interested to see what the European cost for that would be. Yeah, I, I can find that while we yeah. go on to yeah, the next question, and then I'll come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our next question is, what are your views on the homelessness crisis in cities like Seattle, and how would you address it? Yeah. Um, so homelessness, it is a state issue because I'm running federally. Um, it's not something that as a U.S. senator, I can really have too much uh, in, you know, too much outspokenness on. But the one thing a U.S. senator can do is halt funding and and or not halt it. I mean, I think we should be putting money into it, but hold these elected officials accountable on how they're using the funding. And if you see that you know, two years goes by, five years goes by. At this point, we've had 10 years plus go by. And the problem is definitely not getting better. It's getting worse. So stop the funding. Yeah. Stop, stop it and say, hey, hold on. We're going to stop this for a second. Last year, you guys got just from one little chunk was $98 million going towards the homelessness crisis. And we're going to stop it for a second. And you're going to give us a plan. Elected officials of Washington State, you're going to give us a plan. And then let's look, go over the plan. It has to be different than what you're doing. And let's come up with something. If, In my personal opinion, we need a statewide psych ward and rehab center. We really need to, there are five to seven main causes of homelessness, and we truly need to diagnose the problem, then help. We need to figure out, okay, one person's suffering with drug addiction. Another person truly, um, the COVID, you know, pandemic 
completely made them lose their business and everything. They're struggling with that. Let's let's figure out what people are struggling for with. Let's diagnose and then let's help them and place them where they need to go and do what we can. But as a U.S. senator, holding those funds accountable and not wasting taxpayer dollars is going to be my top priority. Yeah, that's really interesting looking at it for more of an individual approach. Like, what does this specific person, because people always try to put something like homelessness in a box, like it's this or it's this, Mm -hmm. but for everyone, it's different. Yeah. I mean, one of the big issues right now is they're buying hotels on the east side of Seattle. So they're dispersing the homeless onto the east side of Seattle, buying up hotels and hiding people in hotels. They're hiding their problem. And so that is not compassion. Hiding these people in hotels is not compassionate. We need to get them help. People, women are getting, you know, abused. Um, men are abused. I mean, it's just, it's extremely sad. People are dying on the streets and, uh, you know, their their number one answer is to put them in hotels and allow the same cycle to continue and disperse them so it doesn't look like such a big problem. They're not all in yeah. one area. They're dispersing everywhere. And, and that's why moms like me are getting upset because we're like, hey, you're putting, you're buying up a hotel right next to five schools, preschool, a couple of preschools, an elementary, a daycare center. You know, we're not okay with that because, yeah, we're, you know, ultimately we, we don't want this in our city, but at the same time, we want to solve the problem, and that's not solving it. That's just creating, it, making it bigger, really. Yeah, and I, I found the numbers for the EpiPens. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in France, it was around $100 for two shots. Uh, in England, it was around $70 for two shots. And in Germany, if you're a member of the statutory health insurance, or whatever it's called, <laughs> um, the maximum price was 10 euros for two shots. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> massive price drop if you move over to the European <laughs> countries over there. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to students for a bit. So on your website, you mentioned a bit about helping students with college debt. How would you plan to help with that? Yeah. So uh, I think student loans have become a super predatory practice. The lobbyists and uh, banks, you know, they're they're working hand in hand. And really, it's become this predatory practice. It's not helping. So I think that something really important that I thought we should be implementing is we should be looking at the career choice. We should be looking at the degree and matching that to the cost of tuition. So, you know, based on the grade, the degree and what their, um, you know, future earnings will be, it should be something comparable to that. Um, I think that's, that's one good route to go. I think another route is really, we just need to be fighting after this, these price gougers and really going after and saying, hey, why are you really charging $100,000 a year for tuition for, for this degree and um, really going after that. And um, another thing is I do think we need to be implementing some form of better pricing for even community colleges, like first two years out of high school. I think we see a lot of high schoolers just leaving and, you know, they just end up not going into college just because it's so expensive. And I think that community colleges need to be doing a better job. I had one other idea, which I thought would kind of be cool. I was thinking, you know, maybe working with corporations, you know, with limited government overreach, but really a allowing corporations to have an option of subsidizing, educating, and paying for tuition. And so saying, hey, if you, you know, are willing to subsidize and pay for some student loans or pay for education for this many students to go to this school, get this degree with them, you know, wanting to come work for your company after, that would give them benefits 
for the corporation, but it would also help the community. So I was thinking to kind of go into things like that, maybe work with corporations and bring that idea up. And I think putting it in the hands of the people is really important. I think there's a lot of good people out there who want to help with this issue. But the more the government keeps getting involved, it seems like it's just spiraling out of control. Yeah, I was thinking what you were mentioning with uh, having businesses kind of fund the students. It was making me think like what the military academies do is they have you go to those academies, you get paid for, and then you have a service commitment afterwards for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. And so that would be something similar with those businesses then, right? So yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that that was kind of the ideas I was having was like, you know, if somebody wants to go in for like a computer science degree, mm -hmm. you know, and companies or or even we're really lacking medical professionals now. Yeah, there's there is less and less people are going into the medical profession like doctors and all this stuff. And so um, even, uh, you know, private hospitals, things like that, I think it would be really good to put it back into the hands of of the free market. That's that's what it comes down to. Medical school is definitely a huge cost, and so less and less people are going to be interested in going through that if there's not an alternative. Yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of hours. It is a very committing profession, but I think it should also be highly rewarded and highly um, regarded. And I think that we're we're losing that, and that's not good because yeah. I don't want. <laughs> I really want to make sure we have enough doc doctors in the future. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So moving on. What would you do to address climate change? Yeah, so obviously, you know, taking care of our environment and in our earth is so important. I am very much for renewable energy sources. And so I think that it just boils down to removing government out of these things. I think government's been hindering progress. And so I think that putting it in the hands of innovators, scientists, and really just the smart people and letting them uh, produce and um, letting them, you know, do what they do best and really make a better, cleaner earth and promoting that is the most important thing. I think that once government starts getting involved with all these programs, it's just hindering the smart people and um, the real companies who are trying to do do well. So I think I think ultimately just uh, just putting it in the hands of innovators, scientists and taking it out of the hands of the politicians who really don't know much about it. Yeah, I, this kind of goes along with what you said about renewable energy. I was wondering, do you have any thoughts on nuclear energy? If any yeah, sort? I am a supporter of nuclear energy. Okay. And I think energy should be cheap. And I think it should be abundant and um, cheap, abundant and safe. Yeah. Um, so all of that. Yes. Yeah. So I think we did we did a show on nuclear energy. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Which was, yeah, it was super fun. So I, I just wanted to kind of tie that in a little bit. Nice. Um, and then when, one of the last questions so you mentioned you built a business kind of from the ground up. What was that like and uh, how will that or how has that helped you prepare to, you know, go on this journey of becoming a senator? Yeah. So, um, you know, my husband and I, we started our company with like $500 in our pocket. We literally, um, I was pregnant with my first son and he was like, listen, I'm going to, what do you think? I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like pregnant. He's like, I'm just going to quit my job. And what do you say we start a company? So I was like, sure, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do it. Um, and we took that leap of faith and really have been blessed. We grew our company. Basically, I was in my 20s and our company grossed over $1 million um, while wow. I was still in my 20s. And so we were really thankful. And it was a, it was a great experience because, you know, like I said, my passion's always been business, entrepreneurship. And so really that's that's kind of been on my my journey of my heart is kind of pushing and making things better and um, growing things. And so I think it comes down to 
that's these are the type of type of people we need in politics today people with real life experience people that have done something uh people that want to um you know produce and want to uh provide and give to society and give back and so ultimately that's that's who i am and i i have watched those experiences really build and shape me into the woman i am i i have three boys now and so working 16 hour days plus raising my kids i always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom i always wanted to stay with them so we worked out of our home office when we first started my office was on top of my laundry so (laughs) we lived in like a little apartment and uh my printer was on top of my laundry machine i had like a little filing um uh, you know, little dividers right over there. And like, I'd open it, do my laundry, grab a folder. <laughs> so it was multitasking all the time. And I always wanted to be with my kids. I always wanted to be very active in their life. And so um, starting a business was that balance for me, being able to help provide for my family and also be there for my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. We want to ask you, are there, is there anything else you'd like to bring up here? You know, um, you guys really gave me a great list of questions. I think it comes down to like, it's time to think independently. It's time for us to promote this and it's time for us to not go by these trends. It's, it's, you know, it's exhausting. I think we're all really tired of this hypocrisy and the two party system. Um, it's time for good people to start getting involved in politics and start wanting to make a real change. Make sure you guys vote in the August primary in Washington state. The top two from the primary go on to the election. Okay. And so um, that's really important. So, you know, vote for me, nazpaul2022.com. Um, you guys can go on to the website, take a look at like a little bit more of what I stand for. And um, yeah, uh, reach out. There's a lot of volunteer opportunities and thank you guys a lot also for, you know, inviting me on. This is super yeah. cool. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah. It was super fun to interview you. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you. it a lot. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Just one last reminder to the audience that any opinions expressed in this show don't necessarily represent the opinions of KMIH. And other than that, keep listening to 88.9 The Bridge for more music and conversation that spans generations.